0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: When you're in a communist country and the and U.S. officials tell you you better delete your tweets, and you're only you're only three days into a ten day visit, you better. Good
0: afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am joining you today on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell here, joining you from a sunny Bozeman, Montana. I'm out here for the Montana Bankers Association, their annual meetings out here. And Bozeman, let me tell you what, folks, is a gorgeous place not too far from the Yellowstone National Park. I'm surrounded by mountains, snowy mountains. There's still a ton of snow on the ground, but it's about 40 degrees. I was just walking outside. It feels great outside. I love it here. It's beautiful. Beautiful here, but a lot of other parts of the country. It is not so beautiful. Uh, We flew over parts of Nebraska today, it looked like heading into Denver on my layover flight and you could see today the the sky was pretty clear you could see a ton of water on the ground just looked like little tiny pockets here and there of, of livestock barns some confinement buildings but things are not looking pretty for that part of the of the Midwest and folks I'm planning on doing a little road trip here early next week I'm gonna Try and take off and see parts of Nebraska, South Dakota, getting some things lined up to talk to some producers and groups that have been hit and impacted by that. But a lot of devastation. And we saw yesterday, President, or excuse me, Vice President Trump, as well as Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds went on an aerial tour to survey some of the damage. A lot of concerns here about 65 out of 93 of Nebraska counties. And four tribal areas have made emergency declarations, floods are costing in the millions and approaching a billion dollars of direct impact to agriculture, according to Nebraska Agriculture Director Pete Ricketts, the governor of Nebraska, also told Rural Radio that so far the Department of Agriculture is estimating livestock loss at about $400 million for the state and they're going to be facing economic hard times here. They also said they note about an additional $400 million in losses for additional costs of loss of feeding, needing to be replaced, animal deaths, increased costs for the care of animals, sick animals, low performance and lingering consequences. Also, some impacts of calving season happening in this time of area for those spring calvers. It's just really they're feeling the effects hard. They need our continued thoughts and prayers. The state has, and in the state of Iowa, 41 out of 99 counties have requested disaster declarations. And both Iowa and Nebraska state officials said they've been in communication with Secretary Sonny Perdue. And another thing here to consider that's coming down the pipeline for these folks is locks and dams. According to Mike Steenhook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, barges, um, getting rail systems through there, those are the long-term effects that they're going to be feeling besides the rebuilding of their agriculture and manufacturing and all the other industries that have been hit hard there. So again, thoughts and prayers go out to those folks. And another quick note here, if you are interested in helping out with monetary donations for Nebraska specifically, the Nebraska Department of Ag, Nebraska Farm Bureau, and Nebraska Cattlemen's Associations are taking donations right now to help, especially with caring for those cattlemen and women who have been affected uh, definitely by the floods. But all industries of agriculture are feeling the effects poultry, pig production and especially cattle production, so. In a little bit more happy news, we saw President Trump and President Bolsonaro of Brazil had a good joint conference yesterday, and Brazil has agreed to lift its ban on U.S. pork, and they're making good here on a 24-year-old promise to set up an annual 750,000 metric ton tariff rate quota to allow 750 million tons of wheat into the u into from the u.s into brazil uh tariff free so that's great news we saw that announced tuesday afternoon the presidents held a joint press conference at the white house they also said they were going to work on getting u.s pork back into brazil they originally were trying to get these things happening back in 1995 but then brazil joined Mercosur. And that trade block included Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay. And so those neighboring countries saw tariffs lifted, but not on the United States. So it's been a long time coming, especially for our wheat production. Brazil produces about 5 to 6 million tons of wheat per year, but the country consumes about 10 million tons annually. So it will be a new market there. Maybe not a huge market to start off with, but a new market at least for the U.S. wheat producers and we can certainly be good to get rid of some wheat right now when we're sitting on such a large stockpile here in the United States and worldwide. U.S. pork, the uh, USDA has said that they are working with Brazil now, or going to be start starting to work with Brazil to not only get U.S. pork into Brazil, but also help streamline the process with food safety and inspection services to help accelerate the process of making sure that Brazilian beef is safe for U.S. consumers. We know about last year this time that we had the Brazilian beef scandal there with JBS and a couple other producers, packing plants. And so the U.S. is really going to try and step up some of that food and safety inspection. And I think it's, this isn't written, but I'm reading between the lines here. I would say that that was probably part of the agreement to get U.S. pork back into Brazil was Agreeing to take more Brazilian beef into the United States. So again, I'm just speculating here reading between some lines But I would say that that is probably a little bit to do with this agreement. So great news on that front and It definitely sparked some excitement in the wheat pits today And we're gonna get to that here in just a little while but on the flip side of that we've got great news now going on with Brazil but When we look at our trade relationships with China, President Donald Trump made announcements just today on Wednesday that he's planning on leaving U.S. tariffs on Chinese products in place for, quote, a substantial period of time. He said that even if some form of deal is reached with China, he still plans on leaving these tariffs on Chinese goods. They are shaking the U.S. ag sector right now, and a group of 59 different U.S. farm groups sent a letter to President Trump on Tuesday pleading with him to lift the tariffs. AgriPulse actually got to view a copy of this letter, and this was signed by groups such as the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Cotton Council, the U.S. Apple Association, National Pork Producers, National Milk Producers, the North American Meat Institute, and U.S. Wheat Associates, so some of our top commodity groups there, pleading with President Trump not to keep those tariffs on, especially if we get a deal in place. And they said, Failing to lift these tariffs could negate any positive gains resulting from a new trade agreement with China. American products are rapidly losing their, earning, their earned market share to our competitors, underscoring the need for an urgent resolution." So the fear is, of course, that if we don't see the U.S. lift tariffs on Chinese goods, then China will not lift their retaliatory tariffs. And, of course, that has stifled ag exports heading into one of our largest foreign markets. So a little bit of news there. Didn't have any really negative effects in the commodity markets for today, but maybe that's an impact we will see on later down the line. Looking over at a case that we've been watching, the Roundup Ready case with defendant Dwayne Johnson. No, not Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but Dwayne Johnson, a school groundskeeper in, I believe, San Francisco or California uh, somewhere out in there. We saw a second phase begin today in the trial of this lawsuit linking Monsanto Roundup's herbicide to cancer. So, a San Francisco jury found on Tuesday that the 70 year old californian man exposed to roundup was that his exposure to roundup was a substantial factor in causing his non-hodgkin lymphoma in this phase the jury will have to determine whether monsanto's behavior warrants the company being held liable or if there should be something else uh decided instead the outcome of this case is likely to affect their future litigation strategy and set the tone for future cases moving forward maybe cause a domino effect here of other folks bringing these cases to the court system um, but Baer insists that each case has its own particular set of facts and circumstances so what's next here and really the next steps here the next part of this trial are really dependent on how much evidence monsanto can present and defend of their product, but in the pretrial order, the judge presiding over this case said there is strong evidence from which a jury could conclude that Monsano does not particular, particularly care whether its product is in fact giving people cancer. So it sounds like there's a bit of a bleak outlook there on that Roundup case. I think it's most scary to think that we could get this tool taken away or we could see changes to the industry in using this tool. but a lot is coming down the pipeline, I would say, for Monsanto. Folks, I'm so excited today. Before I get into the markets, I want to I wanna set the tone here for today's discussion and interview with Betsy Freeze, who is an editor for, an executive editor for Successful Farming out of Des Moines, Iowa. Betsy and I have had quite the past couple of days, and, and really Betsy more than I have, but I've just, uh, kind of fallen in the trickle down because of what's happened to her. Her article that is up right now on agriculture.com, it's called Why You Can't Believe What China Says About African Swine Fever. And let me tell you what, folks, she has jumped through so many hoops to write this article and to talk about it on today's podcast. She not only had tweets asked to be removed while she was in China, she's now having folks higher up from, I think, the U.S. government US trade officials and even some Chinese folks I'm sure are passing along the message to our US counterparts saying they don't want this article up. They asked her to change portions of it. She is really feeling the heat from writing this article and I tell you what, it makes me so thankful and also a little nervous that we are seeing not really her constitutional right being taken away. but. Compared to China, we still have our our First Amendment right of freedom to free speech and to write and publicize stuff. But it, it is really hitting home for me as a journalist to see that she's having to jump through all of these hoops and kind of dilute her story to some extent to make sure that that honestly these things she's writing don't have an impact in our Chinese U.S. trade negotiations. And I think. I'm not even sure that I know the full extent of this seriousness of this, but we're really just uh, tipping the iceberg here. So there are a few parts of this interview that Betsy asked me to cut out specifically. Um, Just want to try and still present all the information that she's presenting in her story, but a couple of tweaks here and diluting it just a tiny bit to uh, make some of those higher up people feel a little more protected about this story but this has been really fascinating and i encourage you all to check out that article especially before Betsy asked to make maybe some of those tweaks to it again that's on agriculture.com and it's called why you can't believe what china says about african swine fever we also shared it on the agnews daily facebook and twitter account if you want to just link to it there but I tell you what, this is some interesting stuff. And another quick note here, she's not the only one writing these types of stories. We saw Reuters release an article just today. It's called Piles of Pigs, Swine Fever Outbreaks Go Unreported in Rural China. I'll probably share that one on our Facebook and Twitter page too, but it is just crazy. The discrepancy we'd see between the Chinese government, what they're reporting, and what maybe some private industries are reporting there in China and uh, it's gonna be a great conversation so folks do stay tuned for that. Jumping over into the livestock and commodity markets for today sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group, Ted Seifried number one go-to for any questions I have about the markets and I'm sure he would be happy to share his insight with you folks. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050. Looking across the screens today a lot of green in all commodity markets, starting out with the May corn contract down two quarters of a cent at three hundred seventy one and a half, the December up a quarter of a cent at three hundred ninety five and a half. Soybean pits, the May contract up two cents on the day at nine hundred six even while the November up two cents as well to close at nine hundred forty and a quarter. The wheat pits were the winners today with the May contract up eight and a quarter at four hundred sixty four and three quarters the December up 7 cents to close at 493 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock pits, in the live cattle contract, we saw the April contract put on 45 cents on the day at 129.57 and a half. The June up 65 cents to close at 123.37 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract was unchanged on the day at 142.25. The April up 52 cents 5 to close at $1.4832.50. And the lean hogs had quite an exciting day. Today we see those spreads continuing to, to uh, change here, margins changing. Not quite limit up on the day, but the April contract up $3.00 at 73 dollars half The May up $3.00 as well at $82.15. And that will do it for today's markets, folks. Here is that interview now that I've been so promising with Betsy Fries. Well, African swine fever continues to be in
2: the news, and it feels like here in the United States, we don't get a lot of the true information coming out of China. But today, we are going to be enlightened by Betsy Fries. She is an executive editor for Meredith AgriMedia and Successful Farming. Betsy, first of all, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You're welcome.
2: So Betsy, let's talk about your recent trip to China. Just give me a general general overview of when you went and who you're going with and really the mission for your trip to China.
1: There were 26 of us and it was the first week of March and um, we went to three different locations ending in Hong Kong um, and you know, we were there as a market study tour, so we were just uh, trying to get a feel for agriculture in China. The group was uh, mainly farmers, you know, from Iowa. Uh, there were some pork producers, cattle uh, producers, and then corn and, and soybean farmers for the most part, and a few people with some other um, diversified income and then there were a couple people that were uh, with either with a company like Nationwide, John Deere or they were retired from those companies.
2: So let's talk about your trip. You were there with groups from across the industry, a bunch of different farmers. The article that you wrote for Successful Farming Magazine when you got home, and I encourage folks to check it out on the website, it's called Why You Can't Believe What China Says About African Swine Fever. Tell me about your process putting together this article.
1: Well, we had uh, one really extraordinary day um, that kind of gave you just a look at what it's like to get information in China. I think most of us on the trip agreed that that day was extremely eye-opening. It came early in the trip. Uh, the first day we arrived, we had dinner that evening with some of uh, people in government. Uh, with I actually sat by somebody that was with the Meat Export Federation. We talked about African swine fever and how it was spreading. And then the next day we went to a dairy farm and... The third day we were there, we uh, in the morning, we went to a location that I originally said where we were, (laughs) and then I was told later just to say that we met with U.S. officials. So we met with U.S. officials several, and we were told how— far and wide African swine fever was spreading, and that it was really out of control in the country. There was no way to stop it. It had already spread to Vietnam, and that it would, um, you know, very possibly end up in Thailand, South Korea, and Japan, and that uh, the disease was really um, accelerating the consolidation and the modernization of the pig industry in China and that that was something that the government really wanted um, because it's easier for them to control a few larger producers. You know, 90 percent of the pigs in China, we were told, are raised by families with very small herds. Um, and they really don't have modern biosecurity at all. The pigs are fed, uh, you know, plate uh, waste, uh, food waste. And, um you know, we were told that the disease really couldn't be controlled unless a vaccine's developed, which is a long ways off. So that that was the first meeting we got with U.S. officials. After that, we went to a feed company that's based in the U.S. And once again, originally, I was I was able to um, get on Twitter, mm-hmm. and which is unusual. Well, you know, we all were able to post to social media because we had international plans on our phone and the the Verizon coverage is incredible there. I mean, even when we were up in the mountains in remote areas, we would have four bars on Verizon, but um in China there are people who are not allowed to use social media like Twitter and Facebook and they're not allowed to Google. But I I actually sent a tweet about African swine fever being out of control after we met with the U.S. officials. And then we met with a feed company and got some really specific information about, of course, they know if their feed sales are down and the clients they work with, if they've lost sows and pigs to the disease. And so, you know, they... They told us that we're just not going to kill African swine fever in China. We have to learn to live with it. Um, oh, wow. And that, you know, the feed mills are producing much less pig feed, so they're switching to producing feed for broilers and even pets. And that uh, the government is promoting the large-scale farms because it's easier for them to manage them, Um so, we heard, oh and we heard about the use of blood plasma in feed, and how that that's what really spread the disease last fall um, It first showed up last earlier last year in China and then they feed a lot of blood plasma, so their slaughterhouses take the blood, you know, make it into this blood plasma that then's fed back to hogs well ninety five percent of that plasma had African swine fever, so that's one way that it spread extremely rapidly in the country um so we learned all this from the feed company. I tweeted one tweet about that um after we had been there. And then the third visit of of that day was to um, the China Animal Agriculture Association, which is the official central government livestock association, kind of like the USDA, the livestock part of that. So we heard from two people there, vice secretary general and um, one of the researchers. And, The farmers, we were all sitting around um, a big table. And when the official government spokespeople began to talk and then it was translated to us, you know, the farmers, the Iowa farmers there just, I mean, their jaws were like literally falling open. I mean, we were looking at each other like, how do we even, what do we even do with this information? Because it was... You know, they they were saying things like um, African swine fever is being controlled effectively. Mm -hmm. There are fewer and fewer uh, cases happening. And that shows that the measures here in China are very effective. Um, So there really
2: was a lot of discrepancy between the maybe the more individualized companies and the Chinese government.
1: Right so the Chinese government you know the the other thing that they were doing is that they were basically saying um, that they were tell they're telling consumers, you know what pork is a red meat and it's not so good for your health so why don't you eat chicken? Um, huh. that's what they were telling us yes do. You-
2: do you see then, I've had this discussion with a couple of people, do you see the Chinese government pushing their consumers to changing their diets long-term to focusing more, consuming more poultry as opposed to pork?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what they told us, is that um, traditionally Chinese people have a preference for, for pork, but now we have so many choices. Poultry said to be good for your health, so... In fact, why don't you just switch from pork to poultry and other meat choices? And they, they even told us, um, in terms of the producers of pigs, even though we have African swine fever productions going down, the price is going up. So it's actually kind of a good thing for the pig producers. And, you know, this is this is in after we had heard from the U.S. officials about how so many of the Small farms in China are just suffering in silence. you know their pigs have had to be killed they've died from the disease or they've had to be killed and and um so it was just a good lesson on how uh, what you, what the official Chinese government tells you you have to look at what they do mm-hmm. not what not what they say and i've heard this from swine veterinarians and others that travel and work in China extensively from the US they always have said look at what they do not what they say
2: wow so that
1: that was really eye opening so after actually during that visit with the official chinese government our guide got a call from the US officials we had met with earlier and The top U.S. official told him, Tell Betsy Freeze to quit tweeting. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because I had been, I had been, I I had two tweets, you know, that talked about African swine fever being out of control and how bad it was. And they, you know, wanted me to stop tweeting because it's just such a delicate situation Mm -hmm. there in China when you're trying to negotiate trade agreements and you're trying to work in the country.
2: Right. Um, you didn't want to make them, make the Chinese people angrier.
1: Right. So I, I did. I stood on a street corner in Beijing and I deleted my tweet. Mm. And um,
2: as a journalist, that probably just kills you a little bit, too, to be censored. Well, you've had such a great I, experience here in the United States being able to to say, you know, virtually whatever we want. I,
1: right yeah, you know a couple of the farmers on the trip said to me i don't think you should have had to you know we right. were on american we were actually visiting with americans and i said you know when you're when you're in a communist country and the and us officials tell you you better delete your tweets mm. and you're only you're only three days into a ten-day visit. You better, yeah. You better <laughs> wait until you're out of the country before you. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I was going to write the story up and post it on agriculture dot com. You know, pretty quickly, and I realized I better wait till I get till I get back home. Yeah, so,
2: and even in the article that you I posted, did. it's still you had to take out a lot of the names of companies, and you can't include specific locations. So even then, you were pretty censored still in what you wrote.
1: Um, So I was, I'm trying to, you know, not offend anybody, but I I feel like the story is still, is still there. Even if you don't know specific people that are, you know, that we visited with, Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like if you read the story, you get the gist. There was another visit that we did to a large feed company that's based in China. And um, we talked to them about African swine fever, and the vice president there, he basically said the same uh, thing that the Chinese officials had said. It was like they were given a document, here's what you say oh, wow. about African swine fever, because that was several days later, Oops. and and we heard... We heard kind of the same story, Um, but what we heard on the side from other people was always interesting because I don't, I think, you know, based on what some of our guides and other people said, I don't think they believe what their government tells them all the time.
2: Okay. Were there any repercussions or the smaller producers, which make up a, a large portion of the hog herd, were they did it ever feel like they were afraid to come forth and say they had African swine fever or report it to officials?
1: I mean, we, we never met with any of them because where you go and what you see and who you talk to in China is, as a visitor is very controlled by the government. So our visits were only to places that had total approval of the central government. And actually, most of what we ended up seeing was in the dairy industry. And it related to, we went to several factories where they produce infant formula. Mm -hmm. Because um, if you remember back in 2010, there was a huge scandal in China where there was uh, some, you know, products put in infant formula to increase the protein, and they ended up, babies died. And so their big focus for us was to make sure we saw how modern their dairy industry was becoming and how modern their factories are. And so this infant formula was being produced, right? Um, And, you know, we didn't go on hog farms because we also didn't want to pick up African swine fever. okay. Um, But we were in markets all over several different cities, and in those markets, there's fresh pork everywhere. I mean, you can't get away from pork because they just have it sitting out for sale, you know, all over the place, snouts and pig's feet and intestines and all that kind of thing. Wow. Wow.
2: Well, Betsy, before I let you go, remind our listeners one more time how they can read that article that you posted.
1: Um, you know, it's on it's on uh, agriculture dot com. And you could probably just Google why you can't believe what China says about African swine fever. And it, it'll come up.
2: Awesome. Betsy, thanks so much for sharing about your recent trip to China. This has been fascinating.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.